everyone and welcome to BYOB Pod, episode 24, is that right Jack? 25? Uh, yeah, let's go with that, let's go, let's go with 25, yeah, you know I mean? Let's take 25 because then that would be like quarter century. Okay. That's on, not like, which that. is amazing going. I'm, Wait, did we say, we said episode 100 was the one we were aiming for it to be a live one, right? Yeah, when we do that live, big time. Yeah. I can't wait to do that. Precious, can't wait to see some people in person mate. talk about some films. Precious yeah, we should really mountain. get some listeners now, shouldn't we? Yeah. <laughs> really get some people to, to no, Not that you don't now. count, Mum. Not that you don't count. You know <laughs> yeah. I mean? You're precious. How are you, the mate? Fu- the funny thing is, like, that joke, like, it falls down because I don't even think my mum listens to us, you know? So. No, my mum told me it's too long. <laughs> <laughs> my mum mom only wants the TikToks. Uh, uh, oh, mom, <laughs> Short form only. On. Come on. Um, I did it. Do you know I, what? I've got an Yeah, go on. Tell me how you are first. Sorry. I am, um, mate, when Tottenham Hotspur are winning, the sun always shines a little brighter. Do you know what I mean? So. Yeah. Can I, should we, if you're not a, a football fan, I'm very aware that we do have a lot of crossover here with, with, with people that listen to us on other footballing stuff. But if you're not a footballing fan and you didn't see what happened to our team at the weekend, basically they did the equivalent of, I don't know what an everyday equivalent would be. Like, we basically won a game where there was zero hope, really, like a 1% chance of winning with with maybe three minutes to go, four minutes to go. It's, it's the type of thing that people would say of, like the, especially like the, the non-sporting fans would say, you couldn't write that. Do you know what I mean? No, you couldn't write yeah. that. Have you ever seen that um, on that note? Have you ever seen that? Let me see if I can find it. There's that, um, there's somebody who's written into like the, the Metro or something. Yeah, here it is. Somebody who's written into the Metro um, saying, this is it. I'm sick of sports commentators saying, you couldn't write a script like this. If people can write scripts about dystopian futures in which life is in fact a simulation made by sentient machines to harness <laughs> humans' heat and electricity as an energy source, they can probably write about Gary Taylor Fletcher scoring a last-minute equaliser against Stoke. <laughs> 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 which is a fair point. Very yeah. good. Very good. I'm currently looking. I'm like, I'm currently looking at, um, a BBC article that's got like examples of like really crazy odds and chance events happening. Um, and they're using things like the film, the parent trap to give you the Ooh. odds of two twins oh, being separated at birth. What are um, the odds gone? At, well, they're saying, um, they're like comparing it to dice rolling at the moment. So I can't actually get the, the sky bet on the go here. Um, but it like, I mean, that's also a great film, by the way. I really, really enjoyed The Parent Trap. You do love The Parent Trap. Charlotte has been saying to me since day one, you've got to do The Parent Trap at some point. You've oh, got mate, to do the I'll do, I'm 100%. Like, we can't do The Parent Trap. We can't do The Parent Trap. But now that I know that, she'll be very happy to hear that. My, my sister sort of like, you know, we talk about the VHS thing of like mm-hmm. basically running a VHS into the ground where the colour drains from it. Um, my sister watched it so many times that happened to her VHS and she knew the handshake that the butler, <laughs> Martin and 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 Hall- Annie, Annie, Annie do. Lindsay Lohan as well before all the chaos mm. ensued. That was kind of like, I think that sort of shot her into megastardom, didn't it? Mm. How, how are you doing, man? 
How, how are you yeah, doing? Yeah, no, good. Enough about so me basically, and, and the, the reason narratives. why I said that, say all this um, stuff about the, the the football is because it genuinely like it. I'd said this earlier on the phone, but it is hard to recover from emotionally when you have that. Sounds so pathetic, doesn't it? But when you have one of these, like one of these games, I, when you're amongst sixty or thousand people and they feel a shared sense of elation in that way, it's it's quite overwhelming. It's actually quite like, and that sh- that shared with millions of people that are watching all over the world. I guess it's 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 a bit of a bizarre thing. So I had a bit of a weird. I worked all weekend and a bit of a come down after that. So um, it's lovely to kind of like get back into doing something that's like normal, you know, because the the weekend felt anything but. Um, and I, I've got a really bad vision. I wanted to go and see Past Lives this weekend and I was meant to go and see it on Friday and we couldn't get a good show in a bit. And I was meant to go and see it on Saturday and I'm, I'm going to name and shame my missus here and say that she, she got back a little <laughs> bit later from, from, from her plaid. So we Bloody basically hell. didn't, what are they, what are the, the, the cheek of it now? We, Deeply we inconsiderate. Deeply. And do you know what's, do you know what's painful here? is that I think about six or seven different people either said to me or mentioned in passing that over the last few days they've seen that film and it has absolutely moved them. Are you one of those? I am one of those people that has seen past lives. Yes, mate, I have. It's uh... Talk me through it. Oh, what a lovely film. What a lovely, lovely film. Um, so we've got... It, it's a it's a South Korean dash American film um, produced by or at least distributed by A twenty four. Everybody's you know favorite big time indie studio now. Um, I'm going to pause you there. By the way, I heard you on another pod another podcast talking through why you love A twenty four and what it is about it, and like the way you described it was just sumptuous. But it's it's it, it, yeah. My my point was pastel tones. With brilliant vision mixing, exquisite sound design, dialogue, all of it. It's, it's like a hug by the fire, isn't it? That's it. It's it's you know, it's a bit of it's a bit of caramel on top of your on top of your ice cream sundae. You know, it's just it's totally something special. Um so this film it, it follows Nora and Hey Sun. Um they're two well, they're two it feels like a stretch to call them childhood sweethearts. I believe the film starts with them being around 10 years old and she's having a conversation. Nora's having a conversation with her, her, her mother and her mum's like, who do you like then? Kind of thing. And she says, oh, I quite like son. You know, he's, he's, he's handsome. He's masculine. And the mum's like, do you want to go on a date with him? Maybe. And she was like, okay. And you can, it's all very innocent. You know, it's this, this kid stuff. And then, so the two mothers are out there watching the, the the two kids down there playing around in some sort of statue park, messing around. And Nora's mother confesses to Sun's mother, we're moving to America. Um, and I just wanted her to have a, a few happy memories of her childhood and career before we went there. Um, and you can tell the other mother's like, oh, thanks. Thanks for breaking my son's heart. Do you know what I mean? But... <laughs> So the, the the film shifts forwards. Um, I believe it's twelve years. I think it shifts forwards twelve years each time. Shifts forwards twelve years. Um, they're both now awkward twenty somethings. Hey, son's just done his national service, and Nora is studying in New York. She's studying to be a playwright, and 
she's talking to her mother via Skype, just kind of talking about like life back in Korea, how long ago it felt, and going over all of the old friends that she she remembers. And then she sort of says to her mum, who was that boy that I used to have such a crush on? You know, you took us out for a date when we were just kids, you know, that time. She's like, it's Hayson. You remember? She's like, yeah, God, yeah, him, him. Let me see what he's up to on, uh, let me see what he's up to on Facebook. So she kind of Facebook stalks him and she, uh, she, she changes her name. She has a, she has a, like a, a Western name basically that she uses when she's in New York, which is Nora. Um, I can't actually remember what her Korean name is, I'm afraid. Sorry, I should have maybe prepared for that. Let me see. But uh, so she she goes onto Facebook and she sees it over the a couple of years ago maybe. Hayson was actually searching for her on uh, on Facebook, and she's like, "Well, this is kind of weird." She sent her mum, "This is kind of weird. Like he's he's looking for me. Let me I'll call you back and everything." So she just sends him a message saying like, "Hey, do you remember me?" Kind of thing. And from this point, you see their relationships start to blossom again they first obviously connect over their childhood he tells he tells her about what it was like doing korean national service um for anyone that wasn't aware like south koreans they still have to do national service when they come of age um and she tells him what life's like in new york about studying and she begins to connect again with her korean heritage i guess you know she she admits to him the only person she speaks korean to now is her mother because he jokes about how rusty it is and it feels all very innocent they feel it feels all very friendly and what the filmmakers do so brilliantly here is because their their interactions are so banal they're so just every day it's almost almost like just two siblings talking to one another catching up there's no real hint of any romantic element or and definitely nothing sexual or anything like that about their interactions that you really feel that moment when they've kind of it's, it's not a spoiler or anything like that you can tell they've sort of caught feelings for one another because they start to plan well maybe we should see one another maybe you should i should go back to korea or you should come to america and we can see one another in person it's been 12 years and then from that point it just gets a bit complicated because you can tell that they're starting to ponder what we're doing here, right? You live in Korea. I live in America. We live completely different lives now. Look, let's just, let's just put the brakes on this a minute. And it's all, it's all unspoken. All of this, all of this kind of awkwardness. And like I said, it's so beautifully conveyed by the filmmakers, because like I said, when you see this, this almost montage like development of their relationship to, hitting this first point when they're suddenly like bang we're we're almost like a couple we talk every single day we talk to each other as one of us is going to bed or the other one's talking to the other one when they wake up in the morning what are we doing what's what the hell is in you, you know i think we've all many of us anyway have been in these positions in life when you go along with something right and nobody really says anything and it's it's not even like a fully conscious thing sometimes you're your conscious brain catches up with the subconscious one, right? And you do get those moments of like, let's put the brakes on. What's just happened here? Hang on. What have we been doing for the past few months? Do you know what I mean? Like we've we've all kind yeah, of been yeah, in those yeah. positions yeah. and they capture that so well in this film. But anyway, you flip forward to another 12 years, right? And by this point, he's in a relationship, as is she. And they they get thrown together again in a certain way. And 
what we're dealing with in the in the final act of the film is how two adults who have always kind of been connected in a certain way untangle all these threads and really make sense of not only who they are as individuals but what they are together and what it was that they had together and i don't really want to say much more than that because it would be kind of spoiling things but yeah yeah it's it's a real deep exploration into i guess not just love and friendship and platonic love or not between kind of male and female but it's also a real look at like who we are as people what the childhood version of yourself are you that same person really if you really introspect on that the various different things that alter you throughout the course of your life do they in turn make you into a different are you almost like uh, some kind of you know like a butterfly or whatever bursting out of a chrysalis do you know what i mean and it, yeah. it, it captures so much of this but again in because I, I don't think it will be for everyone and i'm not trying to just be like oh i i got it and i just it's quite slow and a a lot of the points of action if we say that are suggested everything is kind of suggested and it's i think it's quite deliberate i think it's deliberate just tonally because that's the pacing of the film and that's how the filmmakers wanted to convey their story um Celine Song is the director of this film. Um, and um, I also can't help but feel, though, it's deliberate just in the respect that they don't want to guide the audience too much. What, what they want to do, in fact, is have the audience perhaps turn it on themselves to introspect, to have a look at this film held up as a mirror to themselves and see, okay, right, this may be about a Korean-American couple, but... There's a uni, you know, there's a universal appeal to this. There's something that we can all take from this, and we can all find reason to, like I say, introspect and think about our own lives and think about our own journey because it's interesting. You know, we've we've all, I'm sure, we all have those moments at some points. If you're unhappy in a job, or you're unhappy in a relationship, or just in general, it doesn't even mean that you have to be unhappy. But I guess there are probably those signposted moments in our lives when we're like, what if I took the what if I took the other path? What if I took yeah. the alternative yeah. path there? What would my life look like now? And this is a film that captures so much it's so much I've seen it kind of build as like a romance for the ages, as a you know, it, it's not that. It's a film about, like I say, there's it's there's so much more to it. And, you know, I, I think if you if you don't catch it in the cinema, that's not the end of the world. It's a film that you could watch on your television or probably even on your phone if you're in the right setting and absorb this. Do you know what I mean? The film doesn't rely on, you know, having a big sound system or a huge screen in order to get its message across. But if you're like me and you like the, I guess, the the, the confined sense of being in a cinema, lights shut off, no distractions around you if you're lucky, Um and you can just be completely immersed in the screen and the story. It's it's fantastic. And like I say, I would I would I would recommend that anybody see it, but I I don't think it will be for everybody. Yeah, do you know what though? It's I, I think those sorts of films are, are, are so fascinating when the direction and the production trusts you to 
try and deduce what's going on for yourself to not necessarily having to be like, right, these two people now need to hook up in front of you so that you can understand that there's chemistry, you know, that you, you might just be able to deduce and like kind of grab from just an atmosphere or tension that there is so much going on between between what's said and what isn't said. And I always think of the, um, the film Closer. Have you seen that? I have, yeah. And like, there's so much in there that's very literal, but then there's also so much that is just completely left out that you're just left to kind of work out for yourself what's happened and why it's happened. And I think there's so much in that idea of um, we're all, the, the fact that we're all on this garden of forking paths, making decisions every single day that lead us in one direction. And there is there's a million possible worlds out there where you went left instead of right. Yeah, and we all think about it all the time in every day. I wonder if I just, what if I just gone that way or what if I just decided to do, I mean, a big one that jumps out for me is that like where you choose to go to university, like yeah. that's punctuated my entire life, really mm -hmm. like making that decision at that time, because that's the first time that you're like, okay, I'm going to choose to put myself in this place and at this time. And it's my conscious decision-making and then suddenly you meet 20,000 people, you know, like not face to face and interacting, but you're suddenly amongst 20,000 other people that are your age and from various different walks of life and backgrounds. And you can pretty much go from there wherever you want. I just think that's such a fascinating thing. And I, I often think sort of like, what, what if you'd just gone to a different university? How would your life have panned out? The people that you would have met, the people you would have never met. You know, I, I find that sort of subject matter absolutely fascinating. And I'm, I'm buzzing to see it, mate. But you've been to cinema twice this week. I have. I have. Uh, last night, I also saw A Haunting in Venice. I, I can't help it. I've got a real soft spot for, you know, and Agatha Christie. Uh, well, yeah, Kenneth Branagh. But a whodunit, you know. I've loved, I've loved the uh, reinvigoration of the genre with the Glass Onion series to this point. Um but you know, it's a it's a it's a great nod to. Have you ever uh, done a murder mystery evening? Have you ever done one of those? I haven't. I would actually be quite tempted to though. You Mate, know? can we? Can we see if we can do it on like a? If you we you go to like a big like film. British country estate, don't yes, you? Yes, do it for that, real. I right? would love that. Do, do people dress up properly? I think because they do it in kind of almost like Cluedo style. I would like people to dress up because I wouldn't want to be pulled out. I've, I've got to say, like once. Charlotte and I went to, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not one for doing like, you know, pub golf and dressing up in this way and all this type of thing. But we did go to this once, this like Peaky Blinders immersive theatre experience up in Camden. Oh, okay. Um, and they did suggest that like you make a bit of an effort, you know, you kind of dress up. And so, you know, we didn't go all out, but we still sort of, you know, put on a bit of tweed, wore a flat cap and thought, okay, this will be quite fun. Some people are just rocking up in like trackies and stuff, and you're like, "This is really pulling me out of it." Do you know what I mean? But if yeah, you, if you, yeah. Have you ever done secret cinema? Yeah, I did. Uh, what have I done? I did one of the Stranger Things ones, and I did I did Casino Royale, which was fucking amazing. Oh man, yeah. I'm so jealous. Casino what was the Royale Casino Royale one like? Did you go full tux? Uh, I'd, well, I wore a suit, do you know what I mean? I just, so yeah. that kind yeah. of thing. But um, that's cool because people can do that quite easily. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and some people sort of dress up as various different things throughout the series, you know, and, it, but it was, it, yeah, that, I mean, that was, that was amazing. The, the scope of the, 
I was I was genuinely shocked by the almost film set caliber world that they created there. It it's was incredible, it was amazing. Isn't it? And even like when you are watching the film, um there was an old like DB5 DB6 whatever it is kind of zooming oh, in and out of the theater there were explosions in the background behind the screen. It was amazing. Like it was properly amazing. Um guys like you know kind of zip lining in and shooting each other and all this type of stuff. The Stranger Things one, not so good, I didn't think. But, you know, hey-ho. I went, I went to the Romeo and Juliet one. And, oh, um, yeah. And it was, so this is probably like six years ago. And it was, do you remember we had a summer where it was pretty much the entire summer. It was just like it didn't rain for like 2018 months. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, unbelievable the, World Cup, the World Cup summer that's it yeah and yeah, me yeah. and Christina went and it rained that was the one day it rained all summer <laughs> total total washout absolute washout and they had all of these outdoor open air kind of things that you were meant to go and interact with and missions to do and things like that and it was on a huge festival site and bearing in mind it was running for kind of like two and a bit months. I mean, it was it was massive this space. It was like the equivalent of going to like a, a small festival. And um, but on this one day, it absolutely hammered down. So people could barely watch the film and they had these actors kind of acting out sections of the film, but people were just sort of like huddled under little bits of tarpauling and under gazebos. Um, and I just have this lasting memory of this girl like who was quite hammered walking away from one of the the burger and chip vans like and just sort of swaying as she was walking and I thought this doesn't look good <laughs> and then she just stumbles over her own feet and launches an entire large portion of chips up into the air and they fall oh, down no. in like just a cas- cascading ticker tape yeah. parade of french fries and uh, and then you sort of see in her mind there's this kind of like there's this buffering going on, like the apple beach ball of death is going around in her head. And then she sort of like, just sort of looks around and then sinks to her knees and just eats a few chips off the floor. I sort of turned to Christina. I was like, this is not it, is it? We've got to go home. Yeah, We've got to get, to, yeah, get out get of here. Out this of is it. just yeah, dreadful. Yeah, and yeah. Like, I'm there in my kind of Hawaiian shirt, like a tin pot Leonardo DiCaprio, like in this horrible <laughs> British rain in the tin summer. So it was just it was pathetic. But, but like you can see it would have been absolutely amazing. Everyone was there in kind of like oversized jeans, big Hawaiian shirts, vest tops, all of that kind of stuff. And like all the girls were in the kind of like, I think it was like gypsy chic or whatever you called it, like gypsy skirts, was it? That was that um, very like wide kind of like meshy net material. It okay. was like to everyone was it like it was so, so you could see everyone wanted to make the effort. But the weather yeah, was yeah. just like mm. it, it was just dreadful. But anyway, I digress. Um Yes, one, we need to do a murder mystery evening. Two, you went to see a haunting in Venice. I did go see a haunting in Venice. Um, like I say, I am I'm a big fan of the murder mystery. I think it's great to have a you know, you can tell that uh Kenneth Branner is he seems to be very much driving 
the series. Obviously, we've had uh, you know Murder on the Orient Express, Death on the Nile, and now um, A Haunting in Venice, which was based on a short story of Agatha Christie's called Halloween Party. Um, I didn't know that at the time, um, but there you go. Um, obviously, follows. Hercule Poirot, who has now retired to Venice, uh, played by. How do you feel about his accent? Are you down? It's fine. It's fine. It's campy. (laughs) It's campy, and I think that's that's what the whole murder mystery thing's about, right? It's kind of. I think it's fairly intentional. It's in the same way. I think that uh, you know, Glass Onion, Daniel Craig's kind of southern. Yes. Yeah, they're yeah, kind yeah. of they're almost echoing it playing like homage to it in a different way i i kind of feel not kind of branners in particular but just the whole you know cult of hercule poirot um being this like enigmatic different person right um but anyways it's, it follows poirot who is now retired in venice um and he gets a visit from and as he calls her the authoress a friend of his um played by tina fey um, Ari, I think she, her name's like Ariel Oliver, something like that. I can't, I can't remember it fully. I'm not very good at it. Let me just have a quick look on IMDb. Uh, Ariadne, Ariadne Oliver. Tina Fey's character. Yeah, Tina Fey's character, Ariadne Oliver, and she essentially says to Poirot, "Look, I know you're retired, right? But there's this medium going around, and I just cannot work her out." Tina Fey's character Ariadne, she is uh, she's an author of um, murder mysteries. She essentially writes up Poirot's cases. She she claims that yeah she made him famous, if you like. Right. Um, and so she's like, look, I'm the same as you. Our brains work the same way. She actually says to him, "You're the second person, second smartest person I've met after me." Um, <laughs> So you get the understanding that she's very much invested in this, you know, the the subterfuge and everything of what she sees is going on with this medium who is doing the rounds and, you know, wowing everybody. So they attend a, uh, a, a Halloween party um, at the at the home of Rowena Drake, who is a, you know, she's a she's a former opera singer, former actress um, who has since you know, stopped performing, stopped really going out in public since the death of her daughter, the suicide of her daughter. Um, so we're, we're all going to this, this Halloween party. She's holding like a Halloween party there for the, for the kids in the, in the, you know, the neighborhood, the parish, whatever. Um, because it's one of these things, it's apparently like one of the biggest exports to Italy at the time was Halloween. So all the kids are excited and they want to go to this American lady's house and experience what Halloween's like. So the scene's already set, you know, there's creepy decorations up and all that type of thing. Um, but we find out that w- what they're actually going to attend is once the kids have all cleared off, um, is a seance or some type of, yeah, like a, like a, a seance really, to contact and speak with her, her daughter who has killed herself. Um, and so the medium turns up, um, Mrs. Reynolds, played by Michelle Yeoh, um, and everything is is shrouded in a sense of mystery, as as you would imagine. Um, and then, as is as is typical in any sort of murder mystery, 
people start getting bumped off along the way. Um, and the I love that phrase. Bumped off is so on the money for that sort of film. That's isn't it, it, isn't it? And you've got basically now the two kind of stories of Hercule Poirot not only trying to solve the cases that are unfolding all around him at this point in time, but also walking that tightrope between the logical, the rational, and the spiritual, um, where the lines between belief and rationality blur what actually is rational thought what is you know what is an absence of faith is that actually rational um and what is faith itself it explores a lot of these themes um and wraps is it, it up all, less you know. is it, it would you say it's like then the other this is number three now isn't it that the yeah. third he's done so would you say it's less kind of uh i guess aligned with stereotypical reality would you say or or is it or does that give too much away uh yeah no i, I would say is there's there's uh there is an esoteric element to this right. but it still keeps the audience guessing and it, it makes you ask your own questions like yeah again it, it, it's one of those films as most films do but it holds the mirror up to the audience and asks you what you believe and where you are willing to take leaps of faith. Um, I mean, the film, if you like this type of stuff, it's great. It's right up your street. It's suspenseful, keeps you guessing. When the, you know, when everything is revealed at the end, the breadcrumbs are there all throughout, which is something that Charlotte and I both said we really have liked about this Kenneth Branagh series of the Agatha Christie's is that it's mm. never been one of those dun dun dun. Actually, it was my old mate over there, and there's no Scooby way you would have guessed that. Precisely, it's you, if you you know if you if you're eagle eyed, you can follow the breadcrumbs, and you know you can work it out. Obviously, there are some leaps here and there, but not everybody can be as brilliant as Hercule Poirot. Um, and one of the things I really would say about this, and I want to see who actually was the cinema cinematographer for this film because the film is absolutely beautiful to look at it's it's oh, really? so, it's so well shot i mean venice is obviously a beautiful backdrop for any type of film um a post war venice sort of free from modernity is you know equally a, a treat i've never actually been to venice so i understand that venice is largely free from modernity for the most part anyway um well you beat you it's an interesting one that this is very very interesting now like it's been i think really? in the last 10 years i think it's been absolutely battered and um yeah like we were talking uh, about with Sincratera the other way yeah is that exactly right yeah i think it, it's it when i went i went maybe seven years ago um it's beautiful but it is not like how it was presented in Mission Impossible, yeah. it's, it's incredible how different it is from what you you might think. Anyway, sorry, I, go on. Go on. Harris Harris Zambalukas, uh, apologies for the pronunciation if it's not spot on, is the cinematographer for the for the film. But it looks uh, it, it looks amazing. It looks beautiful. Again, the sound design is lovely. Um, look, like with any of these movies, they're slightly cheesy, right? Do you know what I mean? I, I doubt yeah, this but it's is going nice. to be in the... Yeah, exactly. I doubt this is going to be in like the conversation for, for the Oscars or anything like that. But I don't think these films are made... With that in mind, I think these films are made to 
again, they're very much in the spirit of getting people back into the cinema, sit in there, listen to everyone kind of laugh, cry, munch on their popcorn, suck on their great big five liter barrels of soft drinks (laughs) and just kind of be transported to another place in time for something that will keep you guessing and, you know, will just be somewhat enjoyable. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of, of the, of the murder mystery genre being reinvigorated as, as I said at the top. And I think, you know, there's, I think there's a lot of love being, being put into this film. Um, and there's a lot of love being put into the series by Kenneth Branagh. You know, he's really, he's really, uh, embraced it. Embraces. Ridley Scott was one of the producers as well. I noticed. No way. Which was, yeah, quite interesting. I just saw that in the credits as I was watching. Do you, when, when someone's a producer like that, what does it, what does that entail? It's it's hard to know, isn't it? You know, it, it, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people that have worked on certain films and say, you know, he didn't do anything. Some of the times it's maybe just that they've lumped some money in. Maybe some of the time they've given access to studios or, allow, you know, let somebody use their contacts book. Who knows? Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's, yeah. there's plenty yeah. of different ways in which... Because the one I, did, I mean, the one we touched on recently was Margot Robbie, right? She was a producer yeah. on Barbie, and, and she you can drove imagine it, right? there was, yeah, you can imagine there was a huge amount on her behalf there. But there's probably other people that get a producer credit, and they're like you said, they're maybe just chipping in, like here or there. Um, but I totally know what you mean. I just literally have sent you a, sent you a, a, a oh, picture look at on, that. Look at and that. and like it's is it was a game of Junior Cluedo that I was obsessed with. But the for people obviously no one to be able to see this. But basically, the the classic sort of Cluedo game, but broken down for younger people. So there's less squares, and you used to kind of roll the dice and jump around the squares to visit the different rooms. But there was these gorgeous illustrations of like an old school kind of what would you call? Would you call it like a maybe like a mansion or a very Victorian style huge house? But all of the rooms are sort of drenched in shadow with little mm. splashes of light over them. And I remember I used to play this as a kid. I used to play Cluedo, but we'd play it sort of almost in the dark by by sort of like torchlight. I don't know why we did it, but it was it like when you look at these kind of like old school houses, it almost make you immediately makes you think of haunted houses and haunted mansions you know the 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 library with the book that you pull out and then it spins around and the billiard room with the kind of the pictures of dogs playing snooker all over the walls and then like the hallway it's got the kind of coat of arms that might come alive in the ballroom there's a there's a, a piano that you would just hear eerily playing in the background, even though no one's playing it. You know, there's all these lovely kind of stereotypical kind of scary little things that come with it. I'm desperate to do one of those evenings. I've always seen them. I always thought that looks so fun, but um, never given it a go. I will get out to see that. You've uh, you've given it a, a good good talk up there, mate. I'll give it a give it a go because I've been useless this week. Um, shall we get on to this week's film? Yeah, go on then. Right, so um, how do you want to begin here? Do you want to you, uh, you you tee us up? What what was the film that you chose? I chose Superbad this week. Um, Which I mean, two thousand and seven. Two thousand seven. Yeah, two thousand seven. I can go first on this one. So we would we were going to sort of do a, a deep dive as we always do. Um, 
on on films, but over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure lots of people have seen in in the media. There's been a lot of stuff that a lot of people will find triggering. So we're going to go for a kind of slightly shorter review this week. Um, and I'll, I'll add in the caveat that this is a like we said, 2007 film, gross out comedy, um, very much through the lens of teenage boys and um, very much kind of like of its time in terms of perhaps some of the language used, the kind of, I guess, the the key premise of the film and some of the rhetoric and, and chat within it as well. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I, th- I think probably just the crucial point here is like we're saying with the conversations that are being had at the moment, I don't think we need to add our voice to it saying like a, a film where the premise is let's get girls drunk to sleep with them. Oh, but it's funny is, you know, our voices don't really need to be <laughs> a part of this conversation. <laughs> it's just, it's bad timing. Um, and I just think, you know, I th- we we both sort of, didn't we? We both kind of arrived at this when we were watching it. Just like, uh, just, there's quite a lot here that's quite difficult at the moment to, to talk about, right? Yeah. And I, look, I mean, I'm... <sighs> I had this thing. I I'm I'm happy to sort of kick off here. I had this thing with Superbad in that I'm very aware. Like w- w- when we we said it last week, right? We said and and you said we were doing it. I instantly just flash back to being 16 years old, 17 years old maybe, in the cinema. Um, and I think just <laughs> really funny story. I think I just had a dreadful parents evening at school. I think I I I might've been in lower sixth and I think we'd just been to parents evening and I was at that age, right? 16. You know, when you just trans, you just gone from year 11 into sixth form and you sort of have this kind of idea that you're no longer, um, you're no longer a kid in uniform. You're suddenly like, you're allowed to wear, I don't know, did you have that at your school? That when you yeah. weren't in year 11, you were in sixth form, you could wear your own clothes? Yeah. And so like, I, I remember really vividly though, sort of like we just started in sixth form and you're kind of wearing your, wearing your own clothes and you sort of think you're, you think you're the man and you think you're suddenly like, oh, we're all grown up now, but actually you're only three months older than than you were when you were doing your GCSEs, you know? Yeah. And I think I think I sort of really struggled to make that adaption to the kind of thing going into, right, okay, we're now going into AS levels and we're going to go and like sort of try and get your head down and 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 take on that responsibility, try and get yourself into university. And I remember we had a, a parents' evening and it was just a bit, I think I just had a bit of a rubbish one. You know, I think they were like, yeah, maybe you need to kind of like do a bit better. Um, and I remember sort of <laughs> really vivid memory of this in that, like when you were sort of year seven or year eight, the, my parents' evenings on the whole were largely good, but I remember I had one that wasn't great. I remember we got home and we drove home in silence. My mother, dad in the car, we were on the drive home, absolute pin drop silence. And then by the time we got to sort of sixth form, it wasn't a great parents' evening, but I remember my mum and dad were like, right, then should we go home? I was like, I'm actually going out to cinema. <laughs> and they were like, what? 
And I was like, yeah, I'm going to go see Superbad at the cinema. <laughs> and they, they were fully expecting me to sort of hang my head in shame and get myself home. And actually, I like it very much kind of like in keeping with the theme of this film, right? And I was suddenly like, no, I'm gonna, I, I want to go out now. I want to go to the, go to the cinema. Yeah, I could, I, could, I could go and be a grown-up. So I'm going to shoot off and go and watch a film and went with some mates to watch it at the cinema. And I remember like just finding that as a as a teenage kid finding it hilarious thinking about the the whole like right how on earth are we going to go and get served considering we're 16 or whatever how are we going to try and get hold of some booze and it was i think we were all going to house parties every single weekend at that time as well and um and i just remember it being just sort of laugh out loud funny and i i remember the cinema being electric with with laughter I, I i remember vividly the the title sequence at the beginning as well yeah. the sort of silhouettes and it being very Dancing. 70s yeah yeah exactly um and i was sort of like I, I didn't necessarily know what i was what i was expecting watching it back this time around i then sort of like i just got these at various moments throughout even from the start i just got this real sort of like this flicker of it's not 2007 anymore you know and it probably a lot of the stuff in 2007 was probably hugely challenging um for a lot of people at the time but just the world rightly has moved forward and and lots has changed in that time um and so i was sort of it, it, it really I, I don't know i found it really fascinating that there was kind of sat there now watching it and being like oh Maybe <clears throat> a lot of this stuff wasn't like the intention of it, or the or the premise of it wasn't wasn't a great starting point. And I think that's that, that maybe is a good idea to kind of run through some of the films that make this one a more difficult watch, particularly in the current the current sort of space. And then we can also hit up the elements of it that there are some like some sections of it that really kind of will speak to a lot of people still. Um, but I, th I think the first one for me, and I'd, I'd jump in on this, is just the basic premise that essentially going out to try and get girls as drunk as possible in the attempt to sleep with them is is a bad starting point for a premise of a film mm -hmm. and just hasn't, hasn't aged particularly well. <clears throat> um, no, I, I mean, because on that one, like, because... I sort of, I, I, I juggle this in my head, right? Because there's, there's part of me that's like, that is the premise, but then, you know, the film overall goes to show you that, you know, Seth ends up making an idiot of himself. And, uh, God, what's that? I forget his fucking name. Michael Sarah's character, Evan. Evan yeah. um, when presented with the opportunity to, you know, act on it, Actually, he's like, no, this is wrong. Let's not do this. But does it feel like that point is made clearly enough? I don't know. You know, it's a good question. I mean, like one thing I will say is that, like, there is the, the Evan is Evan as a character seems to it, it stood out to me more so than it ever had before. But Evan as the character seems to be the vehicle for the conscience of the film. Yeah, like the, it. It really struck me with the scene at the end when he's sort of making out with the girl Becca that is like completely hammered. That he had 
he'd sort of built this moment up in his head and she was sort of doing, I, I, I mean, she's <clears throat> sort of like dancing around and saying all these things that I assume that 16 year olds at that time would have thought that they should say. And he just kind of like keeps stammering under his breath. Wow. I, I really like you so much. You're, you're such a unique individual. You're so special. <laughs> and it's like all these things that he sort of like clearly like has built up in his mind that he's going to say. Um, and, and yeah, I think that's, I think the, the difficult thing is, is that even all those bits, even all those like little bits of Evan having these moments where he kind of is the conscience. He kind of like talks about ethics and he talks about doing the right things, etc. They're interspersed within fundamentally the kind of like core premise. Um, and I guess the other thing is that, that I would flag is that just the, Jules Becker, we don't really see... I'm trying to think, is there any scenes within the film where they're perhaps at the very end, they both kind of, they're both sort of the characters that sort of like, look, you, maybe we could actually just start by talking. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's, again, there's parts of me that's like, is this just because the film is through the lens, through the eyes of teenage boys? And, you know, again, we sort of, see the we see the sort of the problematic lens in that the girls are just there to be oogled at and to be the object of sexual fantasies but as the film develops we hear more of the girls voices as the boys begin to learn that there's more to these girls than that but maybe that's given them too much credit maybe that's given the filmmakers too much credit i think on the surface at least yeah the film doesn't really showcase women as anything other than prizes for the boys do they yeah, I know, but yeah, I think I suppose the other thing actually, while we're on this, is that a sense of seeing um, uh, like a couple of people speaking about the the homophobia within it. Um, oh yeah, it's rife with it. It's full of it, isn't it? Yeah, Seth Rogen sort of said like, yeah, there's like a, a lot of homophobic jokes within it that. It, it stands out to him and he hasn't watched it back for a long time. Uh, Bill Hader sort of spoken about the, the sort of, there was a, an article written, I think this is, uh, this is an article that I read over the last few days. Um, and it was like, yeah, and I, I want to make sure I get the author right of this one, but the title of it was how teen comedies like super bad, um, uh, normalized sexual assault by Nina Metz and it kind of talks about the environment that the the film kind of is set in and the nature of the trivialization of some of the chat that the boys have I think other people I, I think the other side of that the people would argue is that but we are looking through the lens of how old are they in the film 16 uh, maybe 17 yeah, and we're looking school, aren't they? Yeah, we're looking at through the lens of of teenage boys, and we're looking at people that are they're having big chat, right? They're the, the typical teenage boys talking big, and then they're like a rabbit in headlights once they actually get into get into that situation. But the discussion within this article is that it actually by the normalization of that chatter and the idea that people can 
speak about women in a disrespectful way or can normalize the idea of getting girls drunk to try and sleep with them is something that really films should not be doing um and uh, like that was quite a, if you do want to check that out it's quite a powerfully written article on the chicago trip tribune and you can just search for um super bad review for that one um is there any other points that we should make sure that we get to in terms of the themes that make this one a more difficult watch well, I think we've pretty much covered that off, haven't we? I think it is important as well to talk about some of the other elements of this so that people don't, it's not just a case of, I, I'm really keen for people to make up their own minds about these films. And I don't want to, I don't want to be like, super bad is bad. So you can't enjoy it. If people enjoy the film and people get a lot from it or enjoy the comedy within it, I t- totally sort of like each to their their own in this one i think there are some elements of it that that definitely sort of definitely kind of speak to me as a a 16 year old like like i said the idea of going out to try and get booze and there being that kid in your year that had the fake id they would use to get into clubs (laughs) and all of that stuff it was always so rife at at my school that sort of thing and was there any that stuck out for you mate in terms of the bits you just like laugh out loud Uh, oh mate it's it's all about it's all about the penis illustration montage like it is especially in particular they thought i was possessed by some sort of a dick (laughs) devil like it's just it's always so the thing is it's one of these stupid things i'm sure everybody has a stupid language and stupid jokes that you tell in your own house that wouldn't make sense to anybody else. But I'm going to share one of those right now. Whenever our cats will look at something just random, like cats do, anybody that's a cat owner will know, sometimes your cats will just sit in the middle of the fucking room and stare at a corner and you're like, what the fuck are they looking at? And Charlotte <laughs> and I will often say, stop looking at the <laughs> the dick devil in the corner it's just one of those <laughs> one of those stupid things that we say just you know was because that stolen it is... from super bad yeah 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 completely oh, just because it's just a you know it's always sort of tickled as both that that kind of gag some sort of a dick devil um and you know apparently all the members of the cast and crew drew their own particular kind of cock picture no way for that montage yeah no yeah no way i guess it was just one of those afternoons where the director or one of the producers went around and said can you draw a picture of a dick on this for me please you know? mate the fact that he keeps him in the lunchbox as well the ghostbuster i think i even had a ghostbusters <laughs> lunchbox like the idea of just carefully collecting his like his groups of pictures that have been neatly folded up it's just amazing and the way that he like scans the <laughs> He absorbs it, doesn't he? <laughs> it's just all of it. Was veiny, triumphant bastard, and like you know, yeah. what is it? The 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 the, uh, the classroom is where I would. What is it? Perform most of my illustrations. Or <laughs> illustration. Like that. Oh know. my god! What yeah. is the um? What is the famous picture? Yeah, the 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 picture of that Tiananmen Square. Tiananmen Square. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's got. He asked this like. Is absolutely genius. How like how do you think of that? How do you think of that? To to like you imagine sitting in the the uh, one thing I have seen. I don't know if you've seen this. Is like you know they did like table reads. Okay, yeah. I haven't at, seen it. I didn't like, see it, but I'll, I'll send you the link for it afterwards. But can you imagine doing a table read where you have to talk about being possessed by a dick devil? Well, <laughs> it's brilliant. Swallowing there's, there's... pictures. 
There is, a, there is, a, you can see um, on YouTube, there's various cuts of the different scenes where you can see how they've ad-libbed them. So it's them running through the scene and different variations of it. Oh, so I have seen saying, that. Like, I've yeah, seen when he says Homek. like, like a mandic, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, it's, it's Michael Cera, it's the way in which he says that, what? When he first tells him about it, you know, it's something about his like, his delivery there it absolutely sends me every single time. Um, they're, they're, they're a very kind of like the way that they move together. They're just that their physical appearance together is it, it, it's so sort of, they seem so in sync. Hmm. It's but really it quite... Sorry, go on, if, go on. I was just going to say, though, it throws again, doesn't it, to the 70s buddy cop? Because that's the whole theme of this, right? Yeah. Barring a couple of shots of, like, mobile phones, you could be forgiven for thinking that this film was set in the 1970s. You know, the soundtrack, the kind of the grainy look of the the film itself, the outfits, the costumes, the very deliberate choice for, like, you know, Jonah Hill to be wearing, like, Michael Cera's dad's clothes, which are, like, those 1970s flares and everything like that. You know, it's... Uh, it's, it's, it's all You've very got anything not from Baby Gab. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just genius. And there was that lo- like just such a funny moment, you know, where he's where he's sort of trying to get changed because he can't be seen in the same clothes. Meanwhile, Evan's character is playing the PlayStation. It's such an encapsulation of that being a fifteen, sixteen-year-old, isn't it? So one of you sitting there playing on the PlayStation. And like then accusing the game of being unfair. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's even like, the point of me doing this? Yeah, it's so like it, there are so many of those little bits where you're just like that is that is sort of such a clever, um, clever little grab on that time in your life. The idea that like one of you is going to sort of have been a bit of a beanpole, and the other one is going to be a little bit sort of wider. Like as as Robin Williams put it, short, furry, and funny. Um, the, uh, I I did want to talk about the the scene at the end. I thought that was quite an interesting inclusion. They do include the fact that the two of them kind of confess their love for each other. Yeah, and it, it's that nice. Well, you've seen, haven't you? Because the whole the whole film has been based around the the kind of the looming threat of their friendship potentially coming to an end you know we've all we've all had that last big sort of summer before everybody went and disappeared right off to university and you don't know what the future holds you don't know if you will stay friends with those people um or not and yeah they may be best friends at this point in time but who knows what the future holds and it's uh it is very interesting because you know it, it is wrapped up in that noughties era of toxic masculinity and boys calling each other homophobic slurs every possible opportunity for showing any sense of emotion or anything like that. Um, but after they've kind of had this roller coaster day, the ups and downs of not getting along, one of them finding out that the other one's going to be rooming with vocal at university that he didn't get into, that Seth didn't get into. Um, you do see them sort of cut through all the bullshit. It's not about the girls, the booze, the this, the that. It's about them just sort of having a good time together for one of the last times maybe ever and then sort of just admitting to each other that, yeah, you know, at that moment in time, they, you know, they love each other. 
which is sort of strange that period of life isn't it when you're about to move to uni when you're about to kind of go and be like i'm actually going to just tear it all up and start again it's it's, it's seismic isn't it because like you say it's it's mad really that you know i've been sort of thinking about like you know my you know coming through school coming through secondary school and you think about like things that happened on on you know different dates and such you know you think about like you know we've just had kind of you know september the 11th that's just happened and i remember acutely kind of where i was when i heard the news when i got home and i you know i can remember my dad saying he was kneeled in front of the television saying come here, America's under attack. And I was like, what the fuck? Do you know what I mean? And going in and seeing the sort of the awful scenes that were unfolding in New York. And then I think like, God, that was only like, you know, a couple of years after I was in kind of, you know, year nine sort of thing. Yeah. And I think like the difference between <clears throat> even then, those points in my life, it's great. But then when I think about 10 years ago, when I think about, okay, Whiplash was released, ten, it's basically the same person, really. Do you know what I mean? All right, mm. might, there might be a few differences to me then. But time is, it's, I get it, it's relative to your your point, isn't it? It's relevant, you know, time is relevant to where you are in your life. And, it, you know, the years go more quickly, the older you get, because it's a, you know, it's a smaller portion of your life. Although some people actually say that's not actually true. Um, oh, Really? Well, yeah, that you know, that time is time. It's a static thing. A day is a day. You know, it's that type of thing. Just because you're ninety years old, it doesn't mean twenty four hours go any quicker. It's it is what it is. It's just your perspective changes. But yeah, perception yeah. of it. Yeah, precisely that. But um, you know, yeah, like you say, it really does capture because you don't like you were saying. You know, you're there. You've had your bad parents' evening, and you're trying to call the shots to your parents because you think you're kind of you think you're top of the world, right? You think you know everything at that point. And then when you actually think about it, you think about like when you were like, you know, we sort of get into this age now, aren't we? I don't even have kids. And I sort of think about like my parents and you kind of, when you're growing up, you think, God, why are you always so grumpy? Why aren't you ever just like lighting up? Why do you always look so stressed? Why is always, and then it's only now, like as you get older, you're suddenly like, oh, right. Yeah, that's that's why. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I didn't know everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's. I think that's and kind it's of amazing. What this like how it does so nicely. Yeah, I think that the the, the that kind of um, that idea of being sort of like limitless at that age. You know that you you're sort of almost like bulletproof. You can eat whatever you want, and you stay the same. You can you feel like you can go anywhere and, and do anything, stay up all night and you bounce back and be ready to go the next day. Um, I didn't, like, I didn't used to get hangovers, you know, things like that. And now you <laughs> sort of think, you, you now think about even the idea of doing a, a, a late session can make me be like, God, that's going to really affect the week ahead. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like yeah. that, that idea of Mate, affecting fuck the week my ahead. sleep. That's going to affect me for the next two weeks as I, you know, not only get yeah, over exactly. the physical effects of my fucking hangover, then all the sort of the mental <laughs> torment the, the, that I cause exactly, myself. Exactly. And it just, yeah, is I think the the thing that i will say for for watching this back is that it um it definitely did kind of like transport my mind to that that kind of 
2007. I mean, like, like you said, I think of one thing that always stood out to me when I was younger. You ever remember you used to say to like your uncle or your auntie or whatever, oh, when did that happen? And they always seem to know the year. They always be like, oh, that was uh, 1991 or that was uh, 1980, whatever. I was like, how do you know that? And I guess it's because there are significant events that people people align it to. Um, And for me, I know my uni years were 08 through 11, 12. And I know that I left school in that that summer, sort of 08. And um, we had the... Uh, we had the, the the kind of our year photo um, in 2006 when we finished GCSE. So we were 2001, 2006. So w- when you say 2007, I, I can like instantly sort of transport myself to that time and those feelings and that that sort of awkward discomfort of trying to work out who you are and where you fit in the pecking order and on the one hand thinking that you're this big adult grown up and then on the other hand like I remember you made the analogy before it's like when you then went somewhere without your parents and suddenly you were like maybe <laughs> you went into London for the day and you were like I've got to try and get on the tube yeah. without getting Everything's kidnapped <laughs> and scary you know exactly exactly um mate who's your MVP on this one Michael Sarah for me hands down Easy for me, but your, your missus didn't say Michael Sarah, did she? No, what's the name? Mince Plas McLovin, Christopher Mince Plasse, is that it? Christopher yeah, I Mince think so. Yeah, I think maybe, I don't um, know. <laughs> possibly, uh, like so. He gets some amazing lines, and there was one that I, um, uh, that I'd completely forgotten about, or it might have just been layered that I just didn't really pick up on. But at the end, when he says to Evan. Like we should have never had to hide our arrangement. Yeah. <laughs> chicka, chicka, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, no, just it's just so good. It's so good. I, I, do you know what? I'll tell you what, I've got to say one of the lines as well. It's it's not even... Do you ever get this, mate, right? Here's, here's an interesting one. This is always a, a good one for sort of a, a film pod or any sort of television thing. But are there ever any bits in like a, f- a programme or a movie or something that just seem to make you laugh a lot and everyone else is like, it's not that funny. Yeah, it's 100%. 100%. Yeah, yeah. It's always cracked me up so much when the uh, when the homeless guy on the bus says, hey, it's you, Muck Muffin. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's just the fact he calls him McMuffin. I don't know why. It's just oh, always baby. gotten me. It's yeah, always got, so, and I've I've thought for years. By the way, that guy was Owen Wilson as well. I no was like Owen Wilson dressed up. I did because like, if you actually look at him, like Google him now. Honestly, Google him now. And if you were to, to, to be told that was actually Owen Wilson in like prosthetics and and a costume, I don't think you'd be like, nah. Oh God, I I'm I'm just looking now. My word, he does actually look a little bit like him, doesn't he? Do you see what I'm saying? Or are you just humouring me? No, no, no. I, like I, I can see that you're basic. If you, if you, sort of, uh, if you put Owen Wilson in the garb, you'd probably you can get away with that. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, also, I'd, like, I, I, there's a a couple of other little like random moments in this. Very quickly, David. Crumholtz, who is in 10 Things I Hate About You and was in Oppenheimer recently as kind of like 
um, Killian Murphy's maybe his like partner yes. or legal yeah, defense. Yeah, yeah. Just pops he's up like in one this of the as one of the people geezers. saying, it's Jimmy's little brother, man. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. Him yeah. To sing. Well, Which, I think lots like, of the guys at that party are all people from that pack, if you like. Um, right, of okay. Saturday Night Live, Dash, yeah. Judd Apatow, cronies, guys who have been in and around the kind of stand-up scene or you know comedy writing scene because couple of there's a couple of um cameos from people who were actually in a series called freaks and geeks uh, i don't know if you've ever seen freaks and geeks right. but it was i think it was one of judd apatow's first ever forays in something it was it was a tv series not too dissimilar from something like super bad truth be told it's about a, a group of high school kids um, and there's loads of famous faces in that now that you'll see, one of which is a very young Seth Rogen, who's maybe 14, 15 in, in, in that, in Freaks and Geeks. But So quite a few of the guys at that party, uh, you'll, you'll see them from things like Freaks and Geeks and Saturday Night Live and stuff like that. So I do wonder as well whether that, that kind of, I mean, I know it does happen within Hollywood, but you can see how if you're working in comedy circles, it must be so hard to get just to get that first bit of luck to get that first bit where someone just goes, Oh, you're actually really funny, you yeah. know? And then, and then after that, I bet it just, it, it, it probably snowballs, but that first bit for someone just to give you a little bit of a chance and to, to put you in something. I think that this is one of the other things that I sort of, I thought watching this was like the amount of careers that this film either helped to launch or just pushed forwards would have been like fascinating really like how much it did for so many of the people that are involved so emma stone michael sarah um jonah hill obviously but even for even for kind of um joe latrulio you know the the driver i didn't effing see you yeah yeah, yeah. you one, got my space <laughs> so you guys are my space or that that and is, who's gonna give that, it to her you are you a man. Are. That, that is that. You know, you just said like the. Um, is there any lines that make you laugh that yeah. other people don't? That that sent me um, like you would not believe that little brief pregnant pause, and then he turns around and goes, "So are you guys on MySpace or?" And just the fact that he says "or" at the end is like, "What's the or? Like, what's the other option that you're thinking of that they should be on?" And I just like it absolutely like it's it, those little like nuanced sort of like weird bits that you can imagine when you're making a film like that that you that like you hope audiences will pick up on. You hope that people would like, and you'll know, and your friends will know. You'd always kind of like because I know you and I do it all the time with like old clips from videos that we've made together like i should say they're like actual productions as opposed to anything like weird um but like little th like things that we've kind of productions we worked with in the past that we'll have seen a funny line that we'd be like do you remember this do you like i bet there's so many of them that they all kind of think you know what like that was like dave franco for example it has a little cameo yeah yeah, and yeah, yeah. completely forgotten about that as well it's just fascinating um so, uh, mate, I wondered whether you wanted to move on to our announcement for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, go on then. Should we, should we do it? Do you want me do you want to yeah, do it? Yeah, you take you it away, it? yeah. Well, we were thinking it's it's approaching spooky season, right? And uh, we're already seeing the Halloween decorations going up in the shops. 
all the leaves are starting to turn a bit orange. There's a there's a there's a wisp in the air, right? There's that there's that kind of that smell, that autumnal well, smell in going. the air. That's it, mate. You know, it's going to be big jumpers out the cupboard soon. It's going to be pumpkin spice yeah. lattes. It's all of it, right? I do love that. Exactly. So what better a way to see in this season? They're not just doing like one horror film, like right around Halloween time. Let's do the lead up to Halloween from this point forth and just go through some of the scariest and weirdest films that, that we've seen. Let's let's dedicate BYOB because I don't think we've done, have we done a horror yet? No, and and that actually brings me on really, really nicely to this next little section that Jack doesn't know is coming. So this is oh, a bit yeah. of a surprise. <clears throat> so earlier on today, producer Purdy and Jack were kind of running through on our WhatsApp group films that would be um, films that would be included within our potential binge of horror films. And I kind of asked the question, I'm like, okay, so where does this start and end? If you take something like Shutter Island, would you include mm-hmm. that as a horror film? Um, oh, no. And oh, no, buddy. That is a big <laughs> no-no. But if you take something like what was what was the best example from the, the list earlier on that you did include, Jack? Uh, well, I mean, like, let's go Hereditary. There you go. Hereditary, that was the one that came to my mind as well straight away. Yeah. That um, that you would say yes. So, I am going to now let you, Jack Cussy, tell me oh what you would include and what you wouldn't from the following list. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, I, I like this. picked out about fifteen films here, and I would like to know whether they're a yes on the horror list or a no on the horror list. And then at the end, I've got a question for you. So okay. first, Psycho. Yes. Number two, Get Out. No. Uh, number three, Alien. Not for me, no. But a type of <laughs> sci-fi uh, horror. It's, it's, do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's straddling it's, the exactly the fine straddling. But it's, is it is it an out and out re re horror? No. The 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 re is a very good like that is a good barometer. It's a good litmus <laughs> test. Um, it follows. Yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Oof, no, not for me. Not for me. Ooh, okay. Um, Midsummer. Mm, I did. I was pondering this one earlier. I will come down on the side of. Yes, just about. Okay. The Ring? Yes. The Shining? Yes. The Wicker Man? Yes. 28 Days Later? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? You? I thought you were going to say no to that one. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll give that as a horror. I'll give that as a horror. It okay. falls into a kind uh, of, people say it's infected, but it falls into a zombie convention to a degree, so. Yeah, well, I guess that is a good, but that's a question that I had was like, they're kind of like zombie apocalypse style films. Like, so you've got 28 Days Later, you've got I Am Legend, World War yeah. Z, that kind of stuff. They fall into horror. Um, A Quiet Place as well. There you go. There's another one similar to yeah. that. Right? Yes, absolutely. Um, The Exorcist. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Poltergeist. 
I, yeah, I guess so. I don't find it scary. I don't. I, do you know what? I love Steven Spielberg. I hate Poltergeist. <laughs> really? say, yeah, I just I, I can't stand that film. But um, there you go. Okay, but yeah, the others. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, good question. Yeah, I guess this we can say it's a horror. Yeah. Good twist on that, isn't there? I yeah. did enjoy I did enjoy that. Uh Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Last one. Jaws. Oh. I guess again it falls into like probably there's it's similar okay, Jaws is the same as Alien, so I'll say no, but both of them have they you know, they have Certain have conventions, elements. yeah, elements of horror to them, but I would still not call Jaws a horror film. No, I don't think so. Okay, now the key question is, what do they have in common? Oh God! I mean, this is a very like that. That's a very unfair question because it could be absolutely anything. So I, I, I'll just tell you the answer. Despite us debating them they are all included in rotten tomatoes top 200 horror films of all time really now so really every now? single one silence, of them come on, silence of the lambs come on no. every single one of them there's it, it, do you know what it, it i would recommend it's for, i'll send you the link now um uh it, every single one of those films that you would be like oh is that is that on there is it not absolutely everything is in there. Science of the Lambs, The Shining, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Dracula, the whole, like all of the classics. But then there's a lot of in there that are kind of like teetering on the on the brink. And I think this is quite an interesting one for ha- Halloween, right? Because my brain naturally goes to um, the kind of n- 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 Freddy Krueger style stuff, you mm. know, jump scares, scary stuff, the ring, that kind of thing. But it's included absolutely every I wouldn't have included a quiet place. I wouldn't have included Jaws, but they're in like the top fifteen. Mm. Oh, this Got the is Dog Soldiers, what a film. Have you seen Would Dog you have Soldiers? included the I've never seen that. Oh, it's brilliant. Have you seen The Lighthouse? Yes, I have seen that. Another one that's yeah, I guess it's like a bit horrorish, sanity. but I don't think it's a horror. But it's yeah, it's got some sort of horror. Eden Lake, I don't so, think I call that a horror. No. So how do we do this? That's the the big question. What is the what's the best? Do we pick maybe two horror films for next week and do a slightly slightly shorter review so we can cram in more? Horror spectaculars around Halloween. That sounds like quite a good idea to me. God, we're going to be fucking needing therapy after the end of this month, right? Yeah, can you imagine? It'd just be us two, just sort of locked in a in a room somewhere, just slowly shaking back and forth. Yeah. Oh, the girl with all the gifts. What a good film that was. Go. I'm just going through this list at the moment, seeing like this. Some really, really good ones in here. But yeah, I'm I'm game with that, mate. I'm game with that. So, what do you want to do? You want to tackle it from this list? Is that is that what you're thinking? Well, I, I mean, I am totally open. I reckon we can pick one each, right? Psycho, the greatest horror film of all time. Wow. Um, yeah, go on then. Yeah, well, so you just want to pick one, like a film that you want to watch, yeah? Y- yeah, go on. You pick, what's your, what would be your one first? Or do you want me to do it first so you've got a bit of time? No, no, I, I technically can... technically would have been... I'll, I'll go with one first up. Um, go on then. The Conjuring, the first Conjuring film. Okay, so I've never seen The Conjuring. So I'm absolutely... And, and I have that full disclosure. Like, I find horror films really, like, 
shock horror. I find them scary. So naturally, yeah. So naturally, I like. I just avoid them when I go to the. If we're going to the cinema. Christina hates horror films. She can't stand them. She's absolutely petrified. So when I said, oh, by the way, we're going to do like a, a, a sort of horror binge around Halloween, she was like, well, I won't be joining. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, well, okay, fine. I'm going to get stuck in anyway. So this is a good excuse for me to kind of properly get stuck into some horror films. So if you're going to go for The Conjuring, I will go for... So what, what year was The Conjuring? Uh, I would get if off the top of my head, mate. I would say twenty thirteen. Let's say that. Yeah, twenty thirteen. Yeah. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Nice. Outstanding. Um, I will then go for something a little bit older. Oh yeah. And I will go for The Shining. Oh, mate. Oh god, what a film. What I've a film. had that on my list for ages so when you said it's top like, 10 it, for me top 10 for me honestly just up front the top 10 klaxon yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when you when you said that it would be included I was like job done that's going in that is going in oh. um, uh, so we'll, like we'll just approach those and, and try and cram them into one pod which I'm absolutely buzzing for oh yeah bang yeah, I'm up for that. I'm up for that. God, there's Love some it. good there's some good ones I'm gonna drop on you, mate. This there's one that I am gonna <laughs> that I'm gonna choose that I know for a fact Charlotte won't watch with me again because she hates it because she just found it Do, horrible. Does she like horror? So films? Horrible. Uh, she's not she's not an enthusiast. She doesn't love them. She doesn't really like watching them late. <laughs> she doesn't like going to bed with the idea with like some of the themes and stuff in horror films swirling around in her head. You know, so it's, it's, really it's quite—it's a tough sell for me to get Charlotte to watch a horror film. I'm not going to lie, but she does yeah. she enjoys them as much as anyone else does. But isn't an enthusiast. I would probably say that me and my two sisters have always quite loved horror films. Do you know what I mean? So I'm gonna. This is a really weird thing to sort of chuck your way, but I don't suppose you've seen the that episode of Diary of a CEO where he speaks to a guy that wants to live to be like 200 years old. I, I've seen clips of it, mate. I haven't seen the full pod, but I've seen the bits where the guy outlines his vitamins. He outlines kind of what he eats and so on. That's and so it, forth. yeah. And yeah. it's and it, it sort of, um, it's kind of weird because I don't really watch Diary of CEO, but that one for some reason just kind of caught, just those clips, it just kind of caught my eye, which is obviously a very good job done by the teasers, etc. cetera. Um, and there's a bit where he's talking about sleep um, and he says he goes to bed at 8.30 every single night and he measures his sleep and he, he manages to get 100% sleep rate sort of thing. So he gets the maximum quality of sleep almost every night and he's on a four-month streak at the moment of of hitting his sleep targets and sleep oh. goals and all of this but he says that as he's winding down he doesn't have any stimulus whatsoever or stimuli whatsoever um and i just know that off the back of watching any of these, my sleep rate is going to be about 21%. <laughs> can, I, can I just say, just... For, for, for the interest of, we've got another klaxon here. Snopes have, have stepped in. Charlotte has sent me a WhatsApp message. She's from the other room. Capital letters, bollocks. I like horror. I just don't like watching them on a Sunday afternoon with the Sunday scaries. 
literally <laughs> some of literally some of my favorite films are horrors so there you go uh, very good there you go very good perfect point to end on um thank you so much mate absolute pleasure i can't wait to get stuck in some horror films now and i will be sending you messages of abuse this week if i now can't sleep at all <laughs> <laughs>